Hello and welcome to Talking Flutes Extra this week with the old flutey tooty guy myself, Jean-Paul Wright. Now you may have noticed our intro music has changed and that is courtesy of our wonderful friend and Latin Grammy nominated flute player, musician and composer Giovanni Perez who has kindly recorded some different intros for us. So over the next few weeks of Talking Flutes Extra podcasts, I'll be playing a different intro and exit, and then it's up to you guys to decide which one will be the chosen one. This week, I have a pre-recorded interview for you with the fabulous New York musician Josh Johnson, who recently paid us a visit here at our TJ Flute HQ in Lenham. Now, for those of you who don't live in the UK or really don't live anywhere around London, we're located about 35 miles outside our capital city. But before we check in with my delightful conversation with Josh, a quick question from a Mr. David Shaw from Edinburgh, Scotland, who has emailed and asked, when should a player be expected to upgrade their instrument? My daughter has been told by her teacher that she could do with upgrading it. What does that mean? Well, in short, David, it means your daughter has been recommended by a teacher to go from the flute that she's on now to one that is more advanced. So the basic question is, do you have to upgrade? Well, unless the flute your daughter has is holding her back, then the teacher is probably looking at developing her playing in very different ways. If she has a silver-plated flute, which I presume she does, then the addition of, I suggest, a silver head joint will enable her to explore far more tonal colours and sounds. Providing it is a good flute brand, then upgrading the instrument will certainly unlock musical development to her and enable her to progress. Now, what constitutes a good flute brand? And I suppose herein lies the rub. Who determines what is good? good. From my own perspective, if a flute brand is known, recommended by teachers and players and is available around the world, then personally I reckon that is the start for you. You see, warning, a big warning sign here. If a flute brand is well known and respected outside your area and even country, then it really will not be the cheapest on the market. And that is for a reason. A well-known flute brand, which is available around the world, has only become respected and recommended by players and teachers because of the quality of design, manufacture and performance. So I'm afraid that comes at a price because you've got research and development, you've got mechanical construction to a higher standard and you've got, well, the most important part, which is the head joint design. Because ultimately, you can have any step-up flute, but if their head joint design isn't good, then it's pointless upgrading. So, I would guard against upgrading to the cheapest possible instrument. Ask for a list of recommended flute brands from her teacher, and if possible, go along with your daughter to a music dealer and get her to test them out. Again, if you can do this without her looking at the brand name, and I know this will be hard, but it's always useful trying to do it as close to a blind test as possible so that there is little brand bias as possible and then she'll be trying an instrument with the purpose of finding one that best suits her. Ask questions as she's 
testing each flute. What does she feel and hear when she plays it? Which one does she feel suits her playing? Is there one that stands out to you when you listen to her testing each flute? You see, one flute will not necessarily suit every player, so the choice really has to be down to what is best for her. She'll know as soon as she picks it up, and I'm sure if you're listening to her, and you'll not only be able to see her eyes lighting up when she finds a flute that really does connect with her, but physically you'll see her changing. You'll hear a different sound. So take note of what you're seeing as well as what she's feeling, and I'm sure that you can come to probably the exactly the same conclusion. You from the audience perspective and her from the musicians. Hopefully I've gone a little way in answering your question, David. However, if you need more info, please feel free to contact me again. Right, Josh Johnson. Right, here is a larger-than-life character who is one of those incredibly annoying people. Well, at least I find him so, because he can play almost all instruments. He's comfortable on the bassoon, oboe, clarinet, sax, flute, piccolo. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if he had a Suzvone concerto up his sleeve. Yeah, and I'm not joking there. He can really turn his hand at most things. Josh was over in the UK early this month on a week's vacation to London, and he kindly took time out of his busy schedule to pop by our place. Hello again. I'm sat in the boardroom of uh, the 2J Flute HQ and I'm joined by someone who's just flown in from New York. And you are? Very tired. I am Josh Johnson. Uh, one or two of you have probably... One or two. One or two of you have probably read my blog or... That's a bit of an understatement. Stalked me on Instagram. Josh Johnson, for all <laughs> of you who don't know Josh, and I'm sure just look on Instagram and <laughs> Facebook and... Twitter and uh, everywhere else. Anywhere flute nerds are found. He is one of these very irritating people in that he plays everything. Um, if it's a musical instrument, he can pick it up and play it. I try to, anyway. So, Josh, what brings you to London? Uh, mostly to see you. Oh, you are sweet. Um, and my birthday was two days ago, and this is my birthday present to myself. I have a week off from my show. Uh, the Yiddish production of Fiddler on the Roof, now playing off-Broadway through November 18th. That's a nice plug. Get your tickets now. I play the alto flute. It's cool. I'm good. Um, yeah, I just have a week off, and I love London. So, Let's just go back to the show. It's not just alto flute. You're playing clarinets and... No, I'm, it's just the flute chair. I'm just the really? flute. So it's flute, alto flute, and piccolo, but there's a lot of alto flute in the show. Um, what I can't get over is that you've walked into this building... Having done two flights from New York overnight, not only looking completely dapper, but you don't look as though you've had a bad night's sleep. So are you likely to crash later on tonight when you get back into London? Or We'll see how many more gin and tonics I have. <laughs> no, I think I don't want to. I mean, you know, I'm only here for six days. I don't want to waste the first one sleeping. Well, welcome to London anyway. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Right. For those that do know Josh, they'll also know he has this incredible intense passion and knowledge for Senkyo flutes. But not, I mean, if we put if we put the clarinets to one side, bassoons to one side, saxophones to one side, you have this rather weird life in that you work for Yamaha during the day. I do work for Yamaha during the day. And then you work in the pits in the evening. I do, I do. And, but you also are horrendously busy promoting and working with Senkyo flutes. Yes. Um, That's correct. How do you 
how do you actually juggle everything in one in one time? Coffee, as previously mentioned. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Um, my day job at Yamaha is very understanding about all of my extracurricular activities. Um, and to clarify, just in case anyone's listening, hi, Bonnie, if you're listening, um, I work in the piano division of Yamaha Artist Services, so I don't actually have anything to do with woodwinds. Oh, really? Ironically. My primary job is to oversee all of the scheduling of our piano salon on Fifth Avenue. Oh, I've got you, yep. So I'm, I work with pianists all day and hardly ever do anything with the winds. Although I sit very, very close to the woodwind and brass atelier. So it's very frustrating to have 25 feet away, 50 clarinets and they gold flutes. Aren't not having you in the woodwind department? Well, it's been discussed, uh, but I, my entire life is just a walking conflict of interest. Isn't it just? It is, because I would obviously have to uh, no longer uh, work for Sankyo, but which Sankyo, I, I would rather just die than Sankyo not work. is your one love in life, isn't it? I, you know, uh, yes, yes. Of the things I can say publicly, where there might be children listening, yes. Yes, Sankyo flutes are my favorite thing. Um, Why? Because of, I appreciate Sankyo flutes. I will tell you exactly why. So the flute is not my primary instrument. I was a clarinetist. Uh, I was a clarinet English horn, double major. Um, and I always really, really enjoyed the flute, but I was really terrible at the flute for a very long time. I picked up a Sankyo flute in 2001, I think it was. I was living in San Francisco. This brand new thing called Craigslist had just popped up. Uh, and someone was advertising uh, their own used Sankyo flute for sale. I was working at a dot-com startup at the time, so I had like way more money than I needed. Uh, and I wanted the gold flute, but I did not want a Brandon. I didn't want a Powell, and I didn't want a Hanes because I didn't want a flute that everyone else had mm -hmm. because I'm very contrarian. I always have to be special. So I'd never heard of them ever, but that's, that was sort of the draw. It was like, what is this? It was $19,000, so it was a substantial chunk of change. Uh, although you're going to die when I tell you what it was. It, for $19,000, I got a soldered tone hole, 14 carat tube, ring, and posts flute. So it's what we call the 14K-4. Uh, so only the keys were silver and the rods. Everything else was 14 carat gold. The head joint was 18 carat gold, and it had a C-sharp drill key and double foot joint rollers for $19,000. Oh, good grief. Yeah. So I played it, and like the sound that came out was sort of what I had, had always wished that someday maybe I would sound like, but... I had sort of just accepted that I never would, you know. I had this horrible, like, airy, unfocused, gross, uh, not not lovely flute sound. And so it was it was a Sankyo flute that sort of made me feel like I maybe could be a really good flute player someday. And so I've loved them ever since. But it's not just I know you have that draw as that being your first good good flute you purchased, but you're involved with, and you try every other flute. That is correct. That's yes. our buffing machine going on. So if you can hear a, a buzz that's just gone on, it's the buffing machine downstairs. Because they do actually make stuff here, guys. <laughs> but you're, you've played, you continually, your world, oh, your God, life is that them. you play yeah. flutes all the time. Yet you're loving Kyo. So it's not as though you're born, it's born out of a blind um, loyalty. You actually genuinely believe. Yeah, no, they've earned it. Because I've played literally thousands of flutes over the past, I don't know. 18 years or so. So from your perspective, what makes a good flute? That's a good question. What makes a good flute? 
Um, I mean, you know, there's sort of the, the mechanical stuff, right? Like a good flute is a flute that obviously plays well in tune, mm-hmm. both with itself and with others. Yeah. Um, does not make it difficult to produce a pleasing sound. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's a, it's a range of sounds. Like, can a flute make a bunch of different sounds that don't sound like a flute when you want it to? You know, can you change the color very easily and still be in tune and still project and do all these other things? Um, does it speak well, you know, or do you have to work really hard to play in the low register? Because if so, that's not the flute for you. And it doesn't mean it's a bad flute. And this is sort of the thing that I talk about with people all the time. If you pick up a flute at NFA or wherever people try flutes, and the first thing you do is try to play Midsummer Night Dream Scherzo, and you can't get your bottom D out, it's not a bad flute. You just don't know how to play that flute. Gotcha. Someone else might pick it up and play the whole thing in one breath and then buy it because they've never been able to do that before. You know, it's it's a very, like, Harry Potter wand wizard thing. So do you believe there's a bedding in period to, when you get a new flute to take it on trial and really get to try and get to know it? Oh, absolutely. Especially if it's something really different than you've been playing on because you cannot just pick up an instrument that you are unfamiliar with and get the best out of it, unless you're certain people. I know people who can do that. Mm-hmm. Not going to name names. Certainly not going to say that I'm one of them, but I totally am. Um, but I've also I've played so many flutes that like I've just sort of figured out how uh, you know uh, different geometries respond different to my playing style. But you absolutely have to spend some time with the flute. I know a lot of people who took flutes home from NFA or you know Mid Atlantic or whatever, and they fell in love with them. And then they took them home and they used them in rehearsal or they did a recording, and they realized it was absolutely not the right flute for them because what they heard in the exhibition hall didn't come home with them, you know? And vice versa. I know people that have taken four or five flutes home, you know, and their absolute least favorite in the hall ended up being the one they bought because once they spent some time with it, they realized they could push it further and they could get more out of it and they could do more. Because I think a really good flute, if you're buying a new flute, it should, it should force you to do things that you're not comfortable doing because you can't do them on your current flute that's really interesting yeah yeah you know if you're if you're a player who has never really been able to have super control at pianissimo in the third octave and you get a new flute this new flute should make you want to try to do that and it's going to be terrible the first few times but eventually if if the new flute is the right flute for you you should be able to add that to your toolbox on the flute so what you're th- what you're saying then generally is if you're want- if you're looking to upgrade your flute to a really good one and yes. invest a lot some serious money in, make sure that you can have it on trial for a period. Yes. Um, the other thing that's really important is know why you want a new flute. Well, why is that? Like what? Because <laughs> <laughs> this new gadget comes out, you. And so yeah, I certainly have that. You know, like oh, it's new, it's shiny. I want it. I have to have it. Um, but why do you want a new flute? Like, what can you not do on your current instrument? What does your current instrument not do for you that is making you dissatisfied? Or do you just really want gold and you got a promotion at work or you finally, like, won a great orchestra job and you love your flute, but now you can afford a platinum flute, so you're going to get a platinum flute. Cool, but, but be honest about that with yourself. But Josh, you know what it's like flute players are like, is that we're looking for that, the holy grail. And do we ever find the Holy Grail? So something else comes along. Oh, I really like that. And You do that enough and then you realize that 
uh, if you would just practice more. <laughs> <laughs> that isn't my case. The yes. holy grail is that 10,000 hours that we should all be putting in. Because <laughs> the flutes don't play themselves. You know. Not uh, yet, anyway. Sadly not, sadly not. Yeah. So you're, you spend a lot of time in the pit, down underneath, I, I underneath do, the stage, or being, are you underneath the stage at the moment? In my current show, um, we are on stage, but we are partially concealed behind the scenery. Mm -hmm. So you can see some of us, some of us you can't, but we are on stage with everyone else. So when you're hidden from view, can you just turn up in jeans and whatever you want, or do you still have to turn As up? long as they're black. Oh, same, yeah, same, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I, I when you when you play enough pit gigs and enough different pits with enough different people, you will see that people have a very loose definition of what constitutes black after your second or third month in a pit. Gotcha. <laughs> like we've all had those black jeans, right? That like we've washed seventy times and they're more gray that you wear with like a brand new black T-shirt out of the box. <laughs> so you <laughs> you know with black shoes that aren't kind of you know. So you end up with like eight different blacks on. Yeah. And what's your favorite to be under the stage be in the in front of the stage i very much prefer to be under the stage because mm -hmm. i have secret time i have horrible stage fright hang, hang on a second yeah i have a deep and abiding horror of being seen while playing really yeah that's why i'm not a big famous soloist or something i i, I have actually passed out before performances before but you're the most outgoing person in the flute world, you are, you are. Well, just... that's certainly not true. I oh, mean, it is. I mean, I can't think of a more extrovert, a more extrovert person than you. Oh no, I don't know. I think I have a pretty typical flute player personality. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't translate to the stage. I get real scared. You're like, very well. I walk out on stage and I just assume that I'm going to not only forget how to play, but I'm also going to trip and fall, possibly soil myself. And what do you do to? overcome that it does it disappear after you start playing it does right it does but it's so hard to get started so i just stopped it's much easier for me to be in the dusty hole under the stage where no one sees me and, and just playing all the notes and the dots and then yeah yeah and it's much easier for me to like i i like to think that in a show I'm, I'm a very consistent player because when i'm in a pit versus being on a stage I don't feel the pressure of being seen, and so I just play, and I don't really... Because, you know, I mean, it, when you think about making mistakes, I think is when you make mistakes. Like, yeah, when you're worried it's going to happen is when it happens. Mm -hmm. So if you just remove the worry, then there aren't any mistakes. I would challenge them, anybody that said they don't get worried, they don't get scared occasionally, and they don't get nervous. I think everyone does. Yeah, and but it's, it's good for you as well. It is. And, there's a, you know, there's a degree of it that I think is helpful, but, like... Actually vomiting before you go on stage, oh, really? not helpful. <laughs> because there's a way to channel your nervous energy into something productive, but mm. having to change real quick because you threw up on your pants is not probably the most productive way <laughs> to, <laughs> to channel yeah. that energy. Well, it's certainly not, but it also highlights the fact that the problem of stage fright. I mean, how many shows have you done in your lifetime so far? Oh, and you're still God. young, by the way. I mean, thousands of shows. And you think with thousands would come a confidence and a surety of what you're doing, but obviously not. You know, shows are different. Now, I, I haven't played thousands of concertos with an orchestra as the soloist. You know, if I had, maybe it'd be different. But the thought of standing in front of an orchestra is terrifying to me. 
Like I'm already, like my heart is beating faster thinking about someday walking on a stage in front of an orchestra, which is sad because I really like to practice concertos. I'm just probably never going to play one. Uh, And you think that's (laughs) totally down to how scared, even the thought now. Yeah. I mean, obviously I've, you know, conditioned myself to to feel that way. I've made myself believe that I can do it. But yeah, no, it's a lot of people just assume that I'm just this incredible outgoing natural performer with tons of stage presence but actually i just stand there looking horrified and hope i don't wee myself i've learned so much already (laughs) (laughs) so what advice could you give to some up-and-coming flute players that are just thinking about a future in music thinking about going to college to major in music oh god make sure that it's the only thing you could possibly do (laughs) really it's hard man it's you know it's there's a lot of flute players and everyone's really good like every all of my friends are flutists and they're all better than me. All of you are listening, and you know this is true. Stephen Clark, you're much better than I'll ever be. There's so much, I can't imagine. Like, if I were me today, where I was, you know, 20 years ago, I 100% would not be a musician. It's terrifying. And it's, you're constantly, unless you are one of the very, very lucky few, very few people in the world that wins a major orchestra position that is salaried and tenured and whatever, or you get a great professorship somewhere, you're always looking for work. You know, you get a Broadway show, great. If that show isn't Wicked or Phantom, your show's going to close, and then you have to get work again. Or if you get a job in a regional orchestra, you're definitely not paying your mortgage with that job, you know, in a per-service orchestra. So then you have to get students. But then if you spend all your day teaching, when do you have time to practice for your per-service orchestra job. Or maybe you have three or four orchestra jobs as a freelancer in per-service or regional orchestras, so you're practicing four different sets of rep. You know, it's it's hard, unless you get one of the one of the big jobs. You know, and there's a, there are tons of people who have, like, made it work. I know there are some of you out there who are, like, incredible entrepreneurs and have come up with all these amazing ways to make a living. Um, and that's awesome. I... I don't know if I have that much energy. (laughs) I just want to blow into the tube and get a paycheck for it. Do you you think that music establishments, music universities and music colleges, the students, they flock there because they have a dream? Yes, absolutely. Do you think there's a realism that's missing? Oh my God, 100%. 100%. If these institutions were being realistic, they would tell everyone on your first day, of all of the people in this room, one of you is going to make a living doing this in 10 years. That's the stat. You know, I mean, that's it's statistics. It's it's real. It's, that's the realism. There is like, no, we we can't all play the flute for a living. Orchestras only have so many flutes. There are only so many orchestras that at any given time are looking for a flute player. Right now in New York, there are I don't know, let's say thirty Broadway shows. I think that number is a little high. Uh, not every show has a flute player. Hamilton doesn't have any woodwinds in it, for example. So, you know, you can't even assume that. Every Broadway show is looking for a flute player. So if you are just a flute player and you really love the flute and you want to play the flute, be freaking amazing at the flute. Like, wake up in the morning and be able to play Chantelinos before your coffee. (laughs) Which I can't do, by the way. Never could, never will, don't want to. Sublime the ridiculous thing. Right, I'm going to leave that to Rita Jarcangelo. But you are a a clarinet major. I I am actually primarily a clarinetist. And did you have that, you went to music school believing that you could be a clarinet player? I did. Mostly I went to music school thinking it was the easiest way out of the horrible 
tiny backwards town I'm from. Right. That was, and you how, know, that how, was my escape route. And how early on did you think, actually, it's going to be hard to make it as a clarinet player? Oh, I had completely given up by the time I was, like, 21. Okay. Yeah. I was, you know, I went into tech, and, you know, I was, like, I saw very quickly that the odds of, you know, uh, buying all the things I wanted to buy in life on what, what I expected to make was were very small. So. so how come you can play everything? You can play every woodwind instrument. You just, from bassoon, saxophone, I, oboe. I don't know. I, you know, it's it's a thing now. Like doubling is a thing. Every school now has like multiple woodwinds or whatever. I would agree though, but uh, bassoon um, is so hard to play. Bassoon is incredibly hard. I think the reason that it's so easy for me and that I've sort of achieved this like parody on all of them because most doublers, you know, there's one that they're amazing mm. at, where it's usually the saxophone or the clarinet. Um, you know, and then there's sort of varying degrees. And I'm, I, I'm. There are certain things I'm more confident at. Like I don't ever really want to play principal oboe in a symphony orchestra. I would always prefer to play second if I'm going to play the oboe or English horn. But I started everything around the same time. Like by the time I was 12, I had all of these instruments at home and I was fooling around with them because, you know, music was my escape from my very interesting family. That's how I dealt with, with all of that in rural Pennsylvania. I think we all know what that's like. But you... We see what happens there in an election year. Oh, the, the good thing about being a Brit is all we get is a glossed overview from this side of the well, room. I w where I'm from is part of the reason why uh, the person in the White House is there. They, oh, okay. They like him a lot where I come from. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> what they don't like is classical music. Really? Oh, God. When I was a kid, I remember my uh, parents would frequently uh, make me go outside in the woods to practice because they couldn't stand hearing it and the neighbors didn't want to hear it. And, Oh. Yeah, I don't. I don't come from a from a place where going to the symphony is a, a valued family tradition. <laughs> <laughs> so you live in New York now. I do live in New York, and you love New York. Is it because yes? Question mark. Uh, you know, I've lived in New York for a long time, twenty uh, ish years mm -hmm. now since I moved there the first time. I've tried to live in a lot of other places. I've lived in New Orleans. I've lived in San Francisco. I spent several years in San Francisco. Uh, I've lived in Tokyo. I lived in New Hampshire for one year for work. And every, except for Tokyo, everywhere else is even more difficult and annoying and terrible than New York. Like, New York is awful, but New York is the least awful place I can think of for myself to live. It's hard. It's expensive. It's busy. You know, it's dirty. It's not the most beautiful city. Oh, I love New York. I mean, I you know, I love it too when I when I get to leave it again. Yeah, as a tourist, New York's absolutely yeah, no, gorgeous. it's super exciting. It's, you know, and I I really love London, and I have some friends, one of whom I think is listening, and I'll be seeing you soon, Mister. Um, really can't stand London, like hate it. Recently moved out of London, in fact, <laughs> because he dislikes it so much. Um, you know, and maybe if I lived here for twenty years and had to deal with what everyone deals with on a daily basis, I too would not be a fan. But the thing about New York is that New York is the only place where there exists the possibility to do what I do for a living at the level that I would like to do it at. You know, a lot of places have musical theater. Only New York has Broadway. Only in New York can you possibly make a six-figure salary blowing into tubes and wiggling your fingers in a dark hole in the ground. God, isn't that, that's such a bleak description of what I do for a living. 
<laughs> blow into things in a dark hole where no one can see me anyway uh, and wait for the check to clear. So back to flutes. Back to flutes. Back to flutes. I really well, do love what I love. What I do. It sounds like I don't, but I'm mostly just being what's sardonic. Your, what's your perfect flute? My perfect uh, flute. Ignore the brand name. What would be Ooh. the perfect material and setup? Ah, uh, well, that is sort of inextricable from the brand name because my perfect flute only exists uh, made by four different companies on the planet. So ideally, like, win the lottery, find a. a Generous, wealthy patron. Firstly, how much is this going to cost? Uh, well north of $100,000. Good grief. 24 karat gold tube, 18 karat gold keys, fully engraved, C-sharp trill key. I actually don't care for a split E. It's another secret. Not a fan. B and C foot joint, because none of the companies who make a 24 karat gold flute do a convertible. Mm -hmm. And I actually prefer a seafoot. You're learning so much about me today. Mm, unusual from an American. From an American. Yeah. I know. I really prefer to play on the seafoot. You're going to tell me like in my, in my mechanism as well. I will tell you that I don't care really? anymore. I used to. I used to be convinced I couldn't play an inline flute and there was just no way I could ever. And it hurt so much and I could never, you know, I was always going to crack the hole a little bit. And then I just got over it and I had to play on an inline flute. Here's what happened. So my flute broke. I was on tour. My section mate had brought an extra flute with him. It was an inline G flute. And it was either play this flute or, I mean, there was no other option. Like, it was either play this flute or just, like, lose my job, you know? So I played the flute, and the first couple days hurt terribly, um, you know, because, like, subconsciously I was forcing myself into this awful position mm -hmm. to fulfill the prophecy that I can't play an inline flute. And then he was like, you really should just, like, stand in front of a mirror for, like, five minutes and figure this out. Because your hand looks crazy and you don't play your other flute like that. And he was right. And I, you know, I made a tiny adjustment to where I put the head joint. It did a little, a little mindfulness, a little visualization. Actually what helped, and this is, sounds crazy. Um, I, I took like a little, um, like a little badminton birdie thing and pulled the rubber thing off the end of it and held it in my hand while I played the flute. And it put my hand in exactly the right position to play the inline comfortably it took five minutes now i can switch back between them all the time and i don't care i would play either one i have no preference a flute well in excess of a hundred thousand dollars 24 karat gold 18 karat mechanism bc foot joint fully engraved yes c-sharp chalky oh c-sharp chalky yes i i am very american in that regard i can't the, the thought of living a flute life without a c-sharp chalky is horrifying to me so you have expensive tastes. I do. I do have very expensive tastes. <laughs> <laughs> and do you think you'd ever have this perfect flute? That the sign that says it all. I know, if, it does. Well, you, because I'm trying to think of a very clever way to say only if someone buys it for me. No, but I think you. I think anyone who's looking at Josh's face now, and obviously <laughs> I'm the only person that's doing that, will know that there is a, there is a strength, there's a conviction that yeah, one day I will. You know, I mean, if I can manage to save $10,000 a year for the next 10 years, assuming we all live that long, uh, maybe. You but know. You're still young. You're yeah. still young, that's the thing. I, don't, I just had a birthday a couple of days ago. I don't feel that young right now. Oh, compared to me, my bit, my dear, you are... <laughs> I, just months. We're months apart. <clears throat> well, yes. Months. In, in that our age difference can be measured in months if you have a I... calculator. Handy. <laughs> 
there's a large multiplication factor on top of that oh Joshua I know you've got to get back into London you have a really busy schedule and just yeah. thank you so much for popping in and looking at our wares. Thank you for having... Can I talk about some of the stuff? Is it really top secret? To. Yeah, okay, guys. So one of the things on the table in front of me right now that I can't stop playing, and it's the only one in the world, so don't email him asking him to make you one. Actually, you should do that. Um, is an alto flute that is completely keys to, right? Yeah. Entirely, you guys, plated in a thick layer of platinum. This is where you all ooh and ah. It's a platinum plated alto flute. It's crazy. It's so good. It's so good. And it's a. This was surprising to me. It's a nickel silver tube. It's not a yeah. solid silver tube, uh, which makes sense to me because I know a lot of you who listen to this have had this conversation with me in real life. A well-made nickel silver flute is a gorgeous thing because Absolutely. it rings like a wind chime. I mean, yeah. it's so resonant and light, so it's not going to murder your hands. You know, it's platinum is heavy. Yep, silver is heavy. It's a lot of heavy. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an incredible instrument. Uh, what else is here? We have the, is this, so is, is this a prototype as well? This? Yes, it is. It's sort of the, the sandwich, the gold and silver sandwich. Yeah. So it's a uh, layer of solid nine karat gold on the inside and sterling silver on the outside. And it's fantastic. It's also, I think, the heaviest Trevor James flute. It I've is, ever, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's great, though. It's really, it's fantastic. And we have a, this is the 22 or 14? That's the 22. 22 karat gold plated virtuoso model, which is stunning. Sterling silver body. And you, this blew my mind. Your plating is 10 microns thick. On the, um, on the, on gold, the gold plating. On yeah. the gold plating. That's amazing. It's done in London, a place called Hatton Garden, which is a jewelry district. Oh my God. That's incredible. Jeremy, if you're listening to this, even you can't wear through this plating. <laughs> Jeremy Clayton is my best friend, and he is currently one of the woodwind players on the new Broadway tour of Miss Saigon. Right. And he played my Trevor James Cantabile for mm -hmm. a very long time, which you so graciously mm -hmm. sent to me three, <clears throat> three years ago with both a silver and a wooden head joint. Um, and it, from a distance, if you squint, it kind of looks like the entire flute's made of wood now because it's so dark. Oh, I, I do like dark flutes, though. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's definitely some, some uh, tarnish in there. And then we have a wooden lip head joint. And this has been on the market for a while. This was your yeah, first yeah. foray into wood, right, yeah. several years ago. Also very nice. And then there is a lovely piccolo yeah, here. Yeah, that's a new prototype, yeah. Yeah, which I really wish you guys could see this because the wood is so beautiful. It's that kind of grenadilla that almost looks like cocobolo or rosewood. Although technically grenadilla is a rosewood, but I don't think we have time for that conversation. No, we don't. It's one of my nerdy things, like wood. I really like wood. And grenadilla is a rosewood. That's all you need to know. Um, but it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. And it has a beautiful low register in particular. It's very responsive. The head joint, um, sort of flat on top. It's like a wave that's been shaved down. I think Powell does something similar. They call it the T cut I think so, or something. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's a, it's super responsive. It's a beautiful instrument. Yeah. First prototype. So yeah, we're looking forward yeah. to exploring more with this. Very nice. And then there is, speaking of prototypes, there is something not on the table um, that if you pay attention to my Instagram in the near future, you will see pop up. Uh, it's a lovely, a lovely instrument that... You, you're having the one and only, aren't you? Yes. You're, you're stealing yes, I'm our prototype. I'm very excited. Um, I don't know if stealing is the right word. Um, it is the only, I believe, still mm. in existence, all wood Trevor James flute. Mm. It's gorgeous. It's really, really pretty. So that's uh, that's going to be very exciting. 
to take pictures of and put on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, we, we've decided not to make the wooden flute. We're spending more time in the developments of our of the of of where we sit in the market, right. which is the is that sort of mid step, step up. up or, yeah. yeah. Although you know, and I I said something about this recently on Instagram. You know, at at work, um, you know, because I play the flute for a living full time. I have been playing my Trevor James mm-hmm. in the pit, and very few people have noticed that I switched from a Sankyo to my Trevor James. And so it's a testament to how, you know, how the scale is great, the sound is great. It's the usual thing with an audience. The audience don't really know what flute you're playing. Yeah. They just, it's a reflect, a good player will make a, right. an average. A, right. a but I mean, I, my, my music director didn't realize I was playing a different flute. Okay. Yeah, so that was, that was nice. Good on you guys. Also, your your harmony flutes are sort of really, I think, where your superstars right now. Right? Yeah, that's, like, yeah. Everyone loves the TJ alto and bass, and I, you know, all of your hot young social media guru gods and goddesses are uh, are all playing the TJ alto and the TJ bass. They do. They just everybody on Instagram. They're seems so to love good. It. Well, they're. I mean, it for two thousand dollars. Look, you're not going to find an alto flute like that anywhere. It's great. It's a, it's a it's a great one and. Uh, as always, thank you for your your support. Well, of course, thank you for having me. Thank you for laying out all of these beautiful goodies. Well, it's uh, important for us. Everyone that comes in, we like to show them our flutes, and it's always good to get feedback to see what people like. See, what, because it's only through the feedback we can then develop. Right. It's like the piccolo. That's the first developmental model, and it's mm-hmm. it leads you. The feedback you give us is mirrors other feedback that we've got, and then when mm-hmm. you get enough feedback, you then start to develop. Right. The platinum plated, unfortunately, just really expensive. Yeah. So yeah. it makes us say, yeah, let, let's make a prototype. But yeah. should we go into production? I'm not really sure. Yeah. Because would you be able to sell many? Right. But if someone, you know, I'm sure if someone wanted to buy like uh, like a recital alto and then have it like platinum oh, no, plated as a one off, yeah, you could do that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it's really cool that you're doing this because it's worth noting, and I'm sure you know this, but maybe others don't. The only other uh, alto flute maker that I have ever encountered in my life that will platinum plate an alto is Muramatsu. So you're in, you're in quite rare company. Yeah, we're in a different ballpark there, isn't it? Well, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, with this platinum plating on it, it's not that, you know, it's, it's a great flute. It's a great flute, guys. So if you could take one away, which one would it, oh yeah, it's going to be the alto flute. <laughs> Other than the one that I already am. Um, oh yeah, yeah, actually, honestly, it would be a toss up for me between the alto flute and the nine carat inside oh, really layered yeah yeah you learned i thought for sure i was going to say the gold plated one because mm-hmm. it looks pretty and it sounds amazing but this nine carat inside flute is crazy huge sound also of all the flutes on the table it's the only one that i could get six consecutive top f's out on yeah, you were squeaking a bit earlier, weren't you? Yes, I, you know, but it was the same squeak six times in a row. <laughs> but what'd be interesting if you if you followed what you're saying earlier, if you took that away, it may not, you may not gel with it when you when you. Uh, right, home. you never know. You never know because it has a in here. It's a huge, 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 big, giant, dark sound, and so maybe if I took it into the pit where I have a microphone, you know, like crammed in my face, and there's someone sitting four inches away from me, it might be too much. Hmm. You know, it's all things we have to think about when we're trying flutes. Is, what what been... do we need them for? You know, what are you going to use your flute for? Well, in your case, it's earning a living, isn't it? For other it is people, indeed. it's making music. Right. And, then, <laughs> right. But and let me tell you, kids, those two things aren't always the same. <laughs> no, uh, they're not. The pressures no. are very, very different. Yes, they are. Although in my case, I do. I'm very fortunate that I, I get paid to make music in this beautiful show. 
with this beautiful score. I, I don't think anyone doesn't like Fiddler on the Roof. No, they don't. You know, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece. And it's, to be able to be paid to make music is sort of the, the ultimate fulfillment of where you started. It is. It is. Also, it avoids homelessness and starvation, and those yeah. are very good things. Yeah, but you're making a joke of all the hard work you've had to put I know, in. it is true. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of networking. It's a lot of not being able to pay your rent sometimes. But, Which you know. is a reality of life being a musician, isn't it? It is indeed. And one of the, you know, you asked me earlier what I would tell people. Um, be prepared for life to be really hard sometimes. If you really want to do this, it's not easy. It is really very difficult. And unless you have something else you can do like I was fortunate enough to have like a great education in computers as a kid so I always had fallback work in an office somewhere I always had a corporate job I worked on Wall Street for 10 years okay a lot of people don't know that um so it wasn't until I decided I didn't want to do any of that stuff anymore and I was only going to do music related things for money that life got extremely challenging <laughs> it was like taking away that you know that JP Morgan check and all of a sudden <laughs> You continue yeah. to drive it forward. and you. But most importantly of all, you continue to smile a lot. You know, I feel like we only have a couple options sometimes instead of smile or just go completely crazy. And... So how can people find you on social media? I can't believe anyone doesn't know you. Anyway. Oh, I only have like 3,500 followers. That's nothing. You have like 2 billion. <laughs> um, on Instagram, I am JoshJNYC. Mm-hmm. Facebook. My Facebook URL is very strange. Uh, it's facebook.com slash nine on the Richter scale. It's number nine. Okay. It's, I just, do, do I follow you? Yes. Oh, I do. Okay. We are Facebook friends. Okay. John Paul. Okay. For many years now. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it's just we communicate. We're right? going to edit that out in post. We're no, going to no, edit we, that we, in post. We communicate via Instagram most of the time anyway. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Instagram is... I also have a Twitter, but I hardly ever post on Twitter. And my Twitter is just an auto repost of everything I post on Instagram. So just follow me on Instagram, Josh J NYC. And reach out because you are very approachable and, and you're a laugh. If you, well, thank you, as are you. If you do have questions about, I know a little bit about flutes, like a little. Oh, that's an understatement. <laughs> uh, so if you have questions about, you know, anything, I mean, what what's the difference between 14 karat gold and 18 karat gold? Or why do we call sterling silver, sterling silver? And is all silver, sterling silver? Things like that. The answer to that question is no, by the way. See, we could have gone off on tangent and done a podcast on that. However, oh my God, I, I would love to do a whole no, podcast on metallurgy. No, no, because... Someday. I'd have to use... It'll be a series. I'd It'll have to be a series. <laughs> I'd have to have a technical director in because my eyes glaze over. That's my favorite. On technical stuff, my eyes just go... Oh over. God, the technical things are just like a... It's like a nice cold martini to me. Oh no, it's it's too fine detail. I'm a broad brush man. I'm a roller. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the industrial size roller. I don't like detail. Oh, I love the details. Nerdy science stuff is my jam. Hence, you're good at computers. Josh Johnson, it's been a pleasure to welcome you here. Thank you so much for. I, you know, I've wanted to do this for a very long time. I know we were going to do it by Skype, but you decided it's better in person. Just, uh, you know, always. Just pop on a plane real quick. And you've had a couple of G and Ts already, haven't you? So I, I, you know, I have to say they were extremely weak. They were, weren't they? It was a lot of tea, not a lot of G, guys. <laughs> there was a lot of ice in there. there. And there was like two tablespoons of gin. <laughs> and a lump of cucumber. That did amuse me, actually. It's Well, you know, I know that's sort of how things are done here. But I, I despise cucumbers, unless they've been soaked in vinegar for six months. <laughs> then if you put a pickle in a gin and tonic, it's not really a gin and tonic anymore. No, it's not. <laughs> I think garbage is the appropriate term for that. <sighs> 
So, Josh, thank you so much. You're so kind. And uh, have a great week. Thank you. You as well. What a lovely guy Josh is. And even after spending a little while talking to him today, I think it's just the green side of me, the jealous side of me that finds him incredibly annoying because he can play everything. So I have to park that smile and it helps that he's just a really lovely bloke. Right, Claire returns with their Talking Flutes podcast next week where she's looking at the glorious Sonata in C by the fabulous Gaetano Donizetti. Claire will be taking the piece and breaking it down into small parts, discussing the interpretation using her own performance of the work. So this podcast really is worth listening to. So with the wonderful Claire Southworth on next week, I will be returning with Talking Flutes Extra podcast in two weeks' time. Thanks for listening today and have a great fluting week ahead. Goodbye. Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.